I got some new hearing aids, and boy, I can hear so much better with these. Sometimes I actually hear more than I want to. Uh, my wife will say, you know, turn the TV up, and it's fine for me. And so as I turn the TV up, I have to turn my hearing aids down. And sometimes I hear every footstep that I take. If I blow my nose or cough, I can hear it. Uh, the clock is ticking much louder than it used to. I think if I turn them up high enough, I could probably hear my heart beat. But hearing aids are like everything else. Improvements are always being made. My old hearing aids, I don't know, they just didn't really help very much, and so I didn't wear them very often. My new hearing aids, man, they have Bluetooth. So I can answer phone calls. I can listen to music or podcasts, do my devotions through the Uversion Life app. And, you know, I'm sure that I'm going to wear them all the time. Now, talking about that, there were some instructions. I said, don't wear them to bed. Okay, I don't think I would. Okay, once my head hit the pillow and made this loud crashing sound, I think I probably would stop. Uh, don't wear them showering or swimming. Now, I could see myself forgetting to take them out before I hopped in the shower. And hopefully, I would be able to get them off before it was too late. And it said, don't wear them around loud noises. So, I'll probably turn them around or turn them off when we're around all of the grandkids. All this makes me think, how many people are not able to hear? You know, because of lack of money or they don't have the accessibility. And, you know, there's things that people tried to use in the past to help them to hear better. And, you know, there's a bunch of things you see on TV now. You know, don't buy those expensive hearing aids. Buy this instead. But I'm really blessed to be able to have them. And I think, God, that Jesus was able to open the ears of a few and that the Lord opened my ears a little bit more than what they were before. Let's pray. Father, we just give you thanks for your word. And Lord, thank you that we can we can read it, we can hear it, we can just uh, get it into our spirits. And so, Lord, it's uh, been designed to make us better people, make us better believers, and better children of yours. And so, Father, as we look at uh, a little bit of your book today, Lord, just open our, our hearts, our minds, and our ears that we can get out of this what you want us to. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, sometimes on Facebook, there are things that come up showing things that, you know, we maybe use every day or we know that we have and all. We never knew that they could be used for something different. I mean, we use them for this one purpose. And then, you know, we find out that there's a whole bunch of other things we could be using them for. Let's take vinegar. Okay, it says you can use vinegar for a sore throat. Hmm. Or to clean your nails before you go to get your manicure. 
you can use uh, vinegar to soften your skin. Didn't know that. Or you can use it to whiten your teeth. I'm not too sure about that one. You know, if I'd want to hold a mouthful of vinegar, as long as you may have to, in order to whiten your teeth. Or let's take WD-40. Okay, everybody knows WD-40 is great for those squeaky doors. They just spray a little bit on there and, you know, they squeak no more. That's really good. And, you know, a few other things. But it says WD-40 will remove grime from book covers. Okay. And removes grease and oil stains on clothes. I don't know if I'd want to use it on my new shirt. Okay, I think I'd want to try it on something else first. Uh, you can use WD-40 to clean the chrome fixtures in your bathroom. That was kind of neat. And this was a good one. That it'll make the puck slide faster on an air hockey table. Yeah. And it's like it needs to go faster. I can't keep up with it now. But there's things that we find that are used for a lot more things than what we thought they were. Well, you know, this relates to the Bible, too. That there's things that we're just not aware of. And I'm not talking about understanding the Bible. But let me ask you a question. How many knew that the Psalms are divided into books. Okay, there's five books. Uh, chapters 1 through 41, 42 to 72, 73 to 89, 90 to 106, and 107 to 150. Now, a lot of Bibles will have them divided out that way. Uh, some do not, but most do. Okay, and then within each of these books... There's subcategories, uh, such as 15 to 24, talks about who has access to the temple. 49 to 53 is talking about the proper posture before God. So um, the Psalms I'm going to look at today are found in Book 5. Okay, so that's uh, 107 to 150. Well, a subcategory within that is Psalm 120 to 134, and it's known as the Song of Ascents. Now, here's an explanation that I found about that. It says they're also called pilgrim songs, and four of these psalms are attributed to King David and one to Solomon, and the rest of them are anonymous. So each one of them may have written more than just the ones that we know that they wrote. And we need to realize that Jerusalem was situated on a high hill. And that the Jews traveling to Jerusalem for one of the three main Jewish festivals traditionally sang these songs on the ascent or up the hill to the city. According to some traditions... The Jewish priests also sang them as they walked up the steps to the temple in Jerusalem. Each of the Psalms is a collection that begins with the title, A Song of Ascents. While perhaps they're not originally composed for this purpose, these Psalms were later grouped together for use in 
traveling toward Jerusalem in the early for the early yearly Jewish festivals. So let's dive in and see what the Lord has for us. Okay, I'm going to start by looking at those that are attributed to David. And the first one is Psalm 122, and it's called A Prayer for Jerusalem. Now, you may be familiar with verse 1. It says, I rejoiced with those who said to me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statutes given to Israel. There stand the thrones of judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within, your, within our walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek prosperity. Okay, there's quite a bit to that psalm. <coughs> but we're going to kind of break it down a little bit and take a look at it. In verse 1, David is rejoicing that it's time to go up to the temple. And that he was allowed to uh, enter the temple and was to be part of this pilgrimage. Okay, the house of the Lord, okay, that's how he was referring to the temple because that was where they believed that God was. Okay, verses 3 and 4 uh, describes Jerusalem and the way it was laid out. Okay, it says it was a city that was closely compacted together and it was made that way for a purpose. And if you lived there, you knew where you were going. It's kind of like moving to a new city, okay? You know where point A is and point B is, and, you know, there's several ways that you can get from one to the other. But the longer you live there, the more you know, and you take a more direct route. And that's the way it would be in the city of Jerusalem. And... It talks about the tribes of the Lord. Okay, that's who is allowed and who is going into the temple. Verse 5 speaks of the thrones for judgment and the thrones of the house of the Lord. This is a reminder that Jerusalem is not only the holy city, but it's also the royal city. Okay, verses 6 and 7 is just what it says. A prayer for peace. A prayer for security. That is something that many of us aren't normally praying for our cities, but maybe we should take a hint from David and be doing that. You know, as I look at the local news and, you know, it seems like there's just more and more robberies and shootings and uh, just things going on that shouldn't be going on. And I, I, I kind of look, um, Oklahoma City is broken up into northwest and southwest and northeast and southeast and so a lot of times i know i'm guilty of you know reading these news things and it says it happened in the, the southwest or in the northeast and i think well it's not near me well it's still part of my city and so i need to realize that 
I should be praying for the whole city, not just if something happens in the northwest part of the city. So in verse 9, David says, I will seek your prosperity. Okay, the Hebrew there for prosperity can be translated a lot of different ways. Uh, Good, at ease, cheerful, pleasing, sweet, pleasant. So he could be saying, "I, I seek, you know, that you'll be a pleasant place, a cheerful place. Uh, that, that good will be coming from you. I, I pray, or I seek that, you know, things will be at ease. So David is praying for good things for the city that he loves. Okay, Psalm 124 is the next one. It says, If the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, If the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive when their anger flared against us. The flood would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. The raging waters would have swept us away. Praise be to the Lord, who has not let us be torn by their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the fowler's snare, and the snare has been broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Here David is acknowledging God's protection. God's protection from different enemies in different ways. Uh, Talking about being protected from war, uh, protected when they were able to cross the Red Sea when Pharaoh's army was bearing down on them. And sometimes protecting them from enemies within. Verses 1 and 2 Uh, Both start out the same. If the Lord had not been on our side, okay, what he's going on to say, if the Lord hadn't been on our side, we'd have been toast. Man, we'd have been wiped out. There would no longer be a Jerusalem. There would no longer be a Jewish nation. Verses 3 through 5 tells us what David sees as their fate without God. He said they'd have been swallowed. They would have been engulfed. They would have been swept under. They would have been swept away if it hadn't been for God's protection. So he was acknowledging the fact that, you know, God has done this for us, his children. Verses 6 and 7, David gives the credit to the Lord for all he's done. Okay, for our not being torn apart and the fact that we were able to escape the snare. Verse 8 will probably sound familiar to many of you too. It says, Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Amen. We need to all acknowledge that that's where our help comes from. Many times we read of the Lord helping out his children, okay, and protecting his children in certain ways. <coughs> Psalm 118, 13. It says, I was pushed back and about to fall, but the Lord helped me. David says in Psalm 86, verse 7, says, Give me a sign of your goodness that my enemies may see it and be put to shame. For you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. In 2 Samuel 22, 36, David tells us this in his prayer. You make your saving help my shield. Your help 
has made me great. Boy, don't we all need to acknowledge that sometimes. And most of us can recount many times that the Lord has helped us in many different ways. David's next psalm of ascent is 131. It says, My heart is not proud. Lord, my eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with great manners or things too wonderful for me, but I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content. Israel, put your hope in the Lord both now and forevermore. Haughty. Okay, that's one of those words that at least I don't use very often. Maybe you do. But it also means proud or exalted or lifted up. And so that's what David is saying. You know, my heart is not proud. My eyes are not haughty. You know, I'm, I'm not a, a proud person. You know, and this is the guy that's the king. And he's saying that. Verse 1 in the message gives it to us like this. God, I'm not trying to rule a roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. Okay? And sometimes we find people that, you know, they, they want to be the king of the mountain. You know, they want to climb that so-called ladder of success and get to the top and, and beat out the, the competition from their peers. So they said that's quite a statement coming from the king who is a warrior. It talks about being a weaned child. Now, this is something that you and I might not think a whole lot about, but a weaned child in our culture will probably normally be around one, give or take a few months. But in David's way of life, in his culture, it could be four or five years old before a child is completely weaned. I can't imagine that in our culture, even though I guess it does happen at some times. So David is saying he's like a child. It's leaning on the Lord. That even when a child is weaned from the mother, you know, the mother is still taking care of the child and meeting the child's needs. Well, the last contribution of David to the Psalms of Ascent is Psalm 133. And it starts out with another familiar verse. It says, How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like a precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Okay, it was David's desire to see the people of God being unified because he had been battling with different factions, including his son. And so we may wonder why David included in verse 2 about Aaron being anointed. Hmm. The oil on his head, down his beard, down the collar of his robe. Okay, he wasn't being anointed with a, a teaspoon or just a few drops 
uh, you know, being sprinkled. You know, he was being annoyed to the point that the oil is just running down his face, running down through his beard and just down his clothes. So this is to show Aaron's complete consecration to the Lord, uh, just the way that he was going to serve him totally. So what's this about the dew of Hermon? Hmm. Apparently Mount Hermon, there it was not unusual for there to be great amounts of dew. I guess that was maybe the original mountain dew. So why would it be good for this dew to fall on Mount Zion? Well, it would be beneficial to the crops, okay? Because we're talking about a place where, you know, they didn't get a whole lot of rain, and so anything that they could get would be helpful. And then it speaks of life forevermore, eternal life. That's the promise that God makes to all who believe. Well, this takes us to Solomon's lone psalm of ascent, which is Psalm 127, and contains some more familiar verses. Break it down into two parts. Uh, verses 1 and 2. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise up early and stay up late for toiling, toiling for the food that you eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now, verse 1 from the message says, if God doesn't build a house, the builders only build shacks. If God doesn't guard the city, the night watchman may as well take a nap. Okay, in other words, if God's not in control, it's going to be a disaster, no matter what it is. It may sound good to us, it may look good to us, but if God's not in it, it ain't what it could be. Okay, it's not what it, it's not saying that, you know, if God wasn't in control, you know, there could be these problems, or they, there might be problems with this, or it has the potential to, to not work out all right. No, it's saying, without a doubt, it's going to be a disaster. Okay, it's not going to be what God could make it to be. Solomon gave us two very different examples about house building and watchmen. <coughs> Excuse me. Well, they're both necessary, and you got to have some place to live. And in their culture, and really in ours, someone has to be watching out for us. Okay, those watchmen would be that 11 to 7 shift or 10 to 6 shift for a police officer. Okay, the watchmen watching out for us. Verses 2, or verse 2, well, there's really three parts to this verse. The first one is rising up early and staying up late, burning the candles at both ends. How many of us know someone that fits that description or that description fits us? Hey, whether you're a single mom or you're that person trying to climb the ladder or you're a procrastinator, 
or someone that's just trying to get ahead to pay the bills. You know, you may find yourself, you know, rising early or staying up late uh, to be able to accomplish those things. Solomon says that you're really, you're doing this in vain. Okay, the, the Hebrew here for vain is shav, and it means useless, lying, false, or vanity. So, in other words, you're just wasting your time. The second part of that verse says he grants sleep. Without good sleep, you're going to burn out. You're going to really accomplish little in the end. And you're really impressing no one. And you're putting more pressure on yourself. And if you don't get the sleep that you need, you're really altering who you are, altering your personality. You know, I often have trouble getting a good night's sleep. After sleeping three or four hours, I may wake up and say, okay, Lord, I really need to get another two hours sleep. You know, I've got this going on, or I want to do that, or we're going here. And so, you know, if I don't go back to sleep, you know, it's just not going to be a good day. So I could use another couple hours sleep. And because I know that without it, I'm going to be useless. And my wife will affirm the fact that I become ornery. And it usually gives me more sleep. Maybe not two hours, maybe an hour, hour and a half, but more than I would have gotten if I just laid there trying to get back to sleep. Well, the third part of this is a really hard part. Because it says he gives sleep to those he loves. Well, wait a minute. So if I'm not getting sleep, God doesn't love me? Well, who does God love? He loves his children. And he gives us what we need. And if what we need is sleep, that's what he's going to give us. Well, the second part of this psalm is verses 3 through 5. It says, children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they, are, when they contend with their opponents in court. Okay. In verse 3, it says, a heritage which is an inspiration, a reward, which is compensation or a benefit. And we're in the image of God. Those children are an inspiration. Those children are compensation for, you know, what we have. Okay, arrows in the hand of a warrior. You know, a warrior is going to hold on tight to those arrows. Just like a warrior today going into battle, he's going to hang on tight to his rifle. He's going to hang on tight to the ammo that he has. Okay? Because a rifle with no ammo is no good, and an ammo with no rifle is no good. So he's going to hold on tight, just like that warrior would hold on to the arrows. Verse 5 says that the quiver will be full. <laughs> Reminds me of my mother. Okay, we didn't think we could have any kids. Well, 
Then our first son came along, Chris. And about 19 months later, number two came along, Ben. And I'm sure at that time, my mother certainly wasn't familiar with that passage, but she would say, I think your quiver's full, okay? Really don't need any more kids. But then 19 months later came our third son, Aaron. And she had a problem dealing with that. And we just found out about the time that my mother passed that we were having child number four. And she would have said, well, I think you need two quivers. But anyways, it says you will not be put to shame. A man was known by his family, especially his sons. His sons were there to, to protect. His sons were there to help. And boy, the older we are getting and the more things are difficult for me to do, uh, I can see our sons, with two of them living right close by and the third one not too far away, that they're there to, to do that for us, for me. Well, I tried to find a song and found one that maybe isn't real popular, but uh, if you're a, a Jimmy Swaggart fan or an Andre Crouch fan, uh, and there was many others uh, that made it popular, uh, you may know this. And the name of the song is, I was glad when they said unto me. So let me give you about part of the song. It says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into your house, O Lord. No greater joy than to be in this place, to lift my voice and sing your praise. Here we are, in your courts we stand, with our hearts and hands upraised. Here we are, by the blood of the Lamb, by your grace we come, and by your grace we stand. Okay, these 15 psalms were sung on the way up the hill, on the way to the temple, on the way up the temple steps. And what this was for was to prepare them for worship. Okay, they weren't singing some country western song about my dog died and my wife left me and and all. No, they were singing songs that were bringing them closer to the Lord as they made this trip. Well, what if Diane and I were singing worship songs on our way to church? Now, it's only about 10, 12 minutes from our house to church, and there's no hill to ascend. It's pretty flat. But still, if we sang some worship songs on our way, you know, when we got there, would we be more prepared to worship? When we got there and worship began, would we better? Would it be better able for us to hear from God? Okay, because what we would be doing was leaving the world outside the temple or outside the church. Well, when they arrived at the temple after singing these psalms on their way, they were better prepared to worship. And maybe we need to find some ways that better prepare us for worship. Let's pray. Father, I just give you thanks for those who know you, those who love you, those who uh, love to worship you, and come into the temple, come into the church to be able to be there with our brothers and sisters and worship together.
So, Father, help us to realize that you have given us ways to bring us closer to you, and we just need to take advantage of those things, take advantage of those times. And, Lord, I lift up anyone that may be listening that that doesn't know you, that somehow they stumbled upon this podcast and listened to the words that you have for them, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to them in a lot of ways. So, Father, help them to know that they need you as the center of their life and that they need to turn their life over to you in every way and that, you know, you are who you say you are. Jesus is who he claimed to be, that he is your son and he is our Savior and Messiah. And so, Lord, let them know that Jesus died for their sins. They're not too bad. They're not too young, too old, too healthy. Then, you know, anybody can come to you at any time in their life. And so, Lord, let them know that Jesus died for their sins, not just the world's sins, but for their sins, and that they can be forgiven for whatever and all of that that they have done. So, Father, let them pray like this. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for sending Jesus to be my Savior. He died for my sins. He rose from the dead, and he's coming again. Fill me with your Spirit that I can be who you need me to be. In Jesus' name, amen.